It's the Code St. Luke Telephone Broadcasting Service and Podcast for Wednesday, June 17, 2020. On today's episode, we have three tales from storyteller Stephanie Benateau. We have The King's Ring, The Wood Maiden, and The Invisible Boy. I think you'll really enjoy The King's Ring. It's about a girl living um, in a town where there's a famine. Um, there is a reward out for a ring that the king has lost. Uh, she finds it and then she needs to bring it to the king, but she faces all these obstacles. It's a very satisfying ending. We think you'll enjoy it, so stay tuned for that. We then have Broadway Happy Hour with Nick Burgess. On this date in history, on June 17, 1885, the Statue of Liberty arrives in New York City aboard the French ship Isère. Of course, it was brought over in pieces. Uh, it had to be put together. There was a big fundraising campaign to help get it constructed. And there's some very interesting pictures. If you do a search on the internet, there's some very interesting pictures of, uh, of parts of uh, the Statue of Liberty uh, on the street uh, where people could come up and, and see it at eye level. It's, it's really incredible. On June 17, 1970, Edwin Land, an inventor, patented the Polaroid camera, an instant camera that could print out pictures for you on the spot. Still an incredible technology, still amazed by it. When I was a kid and I saw that, it was just blows your mind. Even today, it blows the minds of kids who are only familiar with digital cameras where you can see on a screen. Uh, but to have a, a little piece of film come out that you can hold in your hand is, uh, is amazing. On June 17, 1994, former football player OJ Simpson had a warrant out for his arrest on charges of murder. He didn't turn himself in, and it led to uh, a police chase, a slow police chase, for an hour and a half uh, on a highway, uh, and eventually uh, the police caught up with him. He turned himself in, and of course it led to what at the time was called the trial of the century. That is This Day in History, and now here are three tales from Stéphanie Benato. There once was a village in Africa where hunger came for a visit. Why did hunger choose this village? We don't know, but it did. The crops died and the wells dried up. The cows gave no more milk. Hunger made itself at home. It sat in the sad eyes of the old people, the weak arms of the men and women who could no longer work, and the swollen bellies of the children. There was one little girl in that village who thought, I will not die. I will go searching for life. So she left that village. She walked and walked until she arrived at a village where people were bustling about, preparing for market day. There were stalls laden with squash and yams, fish and chicken. She went up to a man who was putting out some fish and asked for work. But when he saw her, he laughed. How can you work, he asked. You can barely hold up your own head. The little girl went from one person to the other, but the answer was always the same. Look at you, the people laughed. Work? How can you work? Bone bag. Skeleton. Swell belly. You spoil the view. Get out of our town. And they picked up sticks and stones and chased her away. She went to another town and another and another, but always it was the same thing. People laughed and taunted her and chased her away. Finally, the little girl's legs gave out beneath her and she fell to the ground by the side of the road. 
And that is when the little girl left the road to death and walked back into life. And this is how it happened. As she lay in the dirt, she heard a voice. Looking up, she saw a tall man richly dressed in a fine red cloak walking down the road and calling. Hear ye, hear ye! His Majesty the King has lost his favorite ring. It is made of gold. On it there are three snakes. The one in the middle has a diamond in its mouth. A rich reward will be offered to anyone, man, woman, or child, who returns this ring. Hear ye, hear ye! Hear ye, Just then, the little girl saw something shining in the dirt by her hand. She picked it up. It was a ring. It was made of gold, with three snakes on it. The middle one held a diamond in its mouth. Slowly she stood up and walked all the way to the palace of the king. But when she got there, she saw the palace was surrounded by a huge wall, and there was only one gate to get in, and blocking that gate stood a man. Now when I say tall, you must think tall as a tree. His legs were as thick as logs, and at the end of his arms his fists bloomed like huge cabbages. The little girl was frightened, but she bravely looked up at him and said, Excuse me, I would like to be let in to see the king. The great man roared with laughter. <laughs> you think the king lets beggar girls into his court? Go away before I smash you with my fist. But I have found the king's ring, she said, and opened her hand to show it to him. The gatekeeper scratched a scab on his cheek and smiled a nasty smile and leaned down to look her in the eye. Sure. I'll let you pass through this gate. But on one condition. You must promise to give me half the reward the king will give you for returning his ring. Did the little girl want to share her reward with him? No. But she could well see that she would not get through the gate otherwise. And thinking at least she would have the other half, she gave him her word. And if I don't get my share... I'll crush you like a pumpkin, he snarled as he opened the gate. She passed through, and he closed it behind her. Once inside the gate, the little girl saw the palace was surrounded by fields of grain and gardens and grazing cattle and goats. She walked and walked up a great avenue until at last, exhausted and starving, she arrived in front of the palace. It was a big square building with no windows and there was only one door to get in. And there, standing in front of it, was the doorkeeper. As much as the gatekeeper was huge, the doorkeeper was small. He was all dressed in black. Black robe, black boots, black bracelets around his wrists. He looked right through her as if she weren't even there. Excuse me, I would like to be let in to see the king, said the little girl. The doorkeeper looked at her. Look at you. Skeleton, moon belly, bag of bones. Go away before I feed you to my cat. 
but I have found the king's ring, cried the little girl, and she held out her hand to show him. The doorkeeper looked down at the ring, and a greedy look came into his eyes. Well, well, he said. So today is your lucky day, swell belly, and it's mine too, because you must promise to give me half your reward before I let you through. I have just promised the other half to the gatekeeper. There will be nothing left for me. The doorkeeper picked her up by the collar and threw her down onto the ground. I will make your skull into a flower pot, he hissed. The little girl looked behind her. The road back was long, and there was only hunger and death waiting for her there. So thinking she would like to see the king's palace once before she died... She agreed to give him half the reward, and he opened the door and pushed her through. She found herself in an enormous hall. At the end of the hall sat the king, surrounded by his counsellors. As she slowly walked towards him, they all stopped talking and stared. She was so thin, her bones went click-clack as she walked. She knelt before the king and held out the ring. I believe this is yours, she said. The king took the ring and put it on his finger. It fit perfectly. He laughed out loud and said, Little girl, you have earned your reward, and never have I been happier to give one. Now what do you want? Do you want food, land, cattle, gold and silver? Whatever you ask for is yours. There were many things that little girl wanted. But whatever she asked for, she would have to give to the gatekeeper and the doorkeeper, and she didn't want to do that. Then she had an idea. Do you promise to give me whatever I ask for? Of course, child, said the king. Then all I want as a reward is for you to beat me one hundred times with the biggest, heaviest stick in your kingdom. What? cried the king. I never would have thought a little girl would ask for such a reward. Are you sure that is what you want, child? You gave me your word, she said, and that is what I want. The king sadly turned to his guard. Take her, and beat her as she has asked since I gave her my word. But do not do it here, I, I cannot watch. The guard grabbed the little girl by the arm and was about to pull her outside when she cried out, Wait! This reward does not belong to me. It belongs to the gatekeeper and the doorkeeper because I promised to share it between the two of them. And she told the king the whole story. And when the king heard the story, he laughed and laughed until tears streamed down his face. And when he was finished laughing, he called the two men. They stood looking down at their boots. Is it true, said the king, that it is to you I must give the great reward I offered this little girl? Yeah, 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 yes, yeah, your majesty. Yes, your majesty. Yeah. Then take them outside and give them their reward, yelled the king. And they were very surprised indeed when the soldiers dragged them outside, pulled down their pants and beat them each fifty times with the ow, biggest, ow, heaviest ow, stick ow, you have ow, ever ow, seen. Ouch! 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 As for the little girl, the king said to her, 
That was my reward for returning the ring. And now, I would like to give you a reward for bringing justice to my palace. So he kept her with him for many days, feeding her until she was strong again. And then, he sent her back to her village with wagons and wagons loaded full of grain and vegetables and cattle and goats and sheep and seeds to plant for the following year. And when the people of her village saw her coming, they welcomed her with open arms and together they chased hunger away from that place. And hunger did not come back to that village for seven times seven generations. And if you don't believe me, you can go to that village. That little girl's granddaughter's granddaughter is still there, and she is the one who told me this story. There once was a little girl named Batushka, who lived with her mother in a tumble-down cottage beside a wood. Her father had died when she was just a baby, and she and her mother were very poor. All they owned were two goats who gave them milk and cheese. By the time Batushka was five years old, she had to help her mother by spinning flax into thread, which they sold at market on Saturdays. Batushka's life was hard, and her mother was often worried and harsh with her. There was no time for playing and no toys to play with. But Batushka was a merry little girl, and she found joy in every little thing despite their great poverty. Every morning, Batushka's mother would pack a piece of bread and a basket, along with a spindle and some flax. Then, Batushka would walk the goats along the little path that led to the clearing in the forest. There, the grass was especially sweet and luscious, and Batushka would let the goats graze while she spun the flax into thread, humming and singing as she worked. She would work hard all morning. At noon, when the sun was high overhead... She would eat her bread. Then she would stand up and bow to her goats. Ladies, she would say, now I will dance. <laughs> For there was one thing Batushka loved more than anything, and it was dancing. She would jump and spin around the clearing, laughing out loud at the joy of it. Sometimes she dressed herself in leaves and flowers, pretending she was a lady at a ball, and the goats were her servants. But always, when she was finished playing, she would sit down again to her spinning and work until sunset, and her mother never had cause to complain that the work was not done. One day, just as Batushka was finishing her piece of bread, she heard a voice. "'Do you like to dance, then, child?' Looking up, she saw a most beautiful lady standing before her. She had long golden hair to her waist. She was wearing a white dress, fine as a spider web, and she had a garland of flowers on her head. Petushka was frightened. She squeezed her eyes tightly shut, but when she opened them, the lady was still there, smiling so sweetly that Petushka forgot to be scared. Oh, yes, she said. I love to dance more than anything in the world. Then dance with me, little one, said the lady. So Batushka stood up, and all at once the lady clapped. And she heard the most beautiful music coming from the trees. (laughs) 
The two danced and danced and never had Batushka felt so light. It seemed she was floating on air, spinning and laughing through the clearing. They danced all afternoon, yet Batushka did not feel tired. All at once the music stopped and the lady disappeared as quickly as she had come. Batushka saw the sun was setting. She looked down at the grass where her spinning lay unfinished. Oh, how cross Mother will be, she whispered. She picked up her basket and walked quietly home, herding the goats in front of her. When she got home, she hid her unspun flax under her bed, thinking she would make up tomorrow for what she had not finished today. Her mother was tired and did not ask for the thread, and Batushka went to bed determined to work very hard the next day. The next morning she ran to the wood and worked hard all morning. I will not have lunch today, she thought, as the sun rose high in the sky. But just then, there was the beautiful lady before her again. Will you dance, child? Oh, forgive me, lady, but I must not dance today, for I have to make up for the spinning I didn't do yesterday, or my mother will be cross. Come now, child, the spinning will get done somehow, said the lady. And she smiled and held out her hand. Oh, surely it won't matter if I just dance a bit, thought Batushka. So she stood up, and the lady pulled her into the middle of the clearing and clapped her hands. <laughs> and the music was even sweeter than the day before. Batushka twirled around the clearing, laughing and breathless, until all of a sudden, the music stopped. The lady disappeared, and Batushka saw that the sun was setting in the west. Oh, no, she cried as she saw her unfinished spinning. Oh, mother will never forgive me. She won't. She won't. I've been so bad. She gathered up her things and walked sadly home, and even her goats wondered why their mistress did not sing as she usually did. Her mother was in the kitchen, so Batushka hid the unspun flax in the barn with the goats. She offered to help bring in the wood, and her mother was too tired to ask for the thread. The next morning, Batushka rose even earlier than usual. She walked quickly to the wood and spun all morning. But when the sun was high in the sky, there was the lady before her again. Will you dance, child? she asked in her sweet voice. No, lady, I must not dance, cried Batushka. For two days I have not spun, and tomorrow is market day. If I have no thread to sell, we will have nothing to eat. I, I must not dance. Child, I will help you with your spinning if you just dance with me a little, said the lady. And Batushka, Batushka who so loved to dance well, she felt her feet begin to tap and she slowly stood up and before she knew it, she was dancing around and around the clearing, her hair flying out behind her, her eyes shining, laughing and singing as she went. All afternoon she danced and never, never had she felt so light and happy. But all of a sudden, she saw the sun was about to set and she stopped and she cried out, Oh no, I've done it again and we will have nothing to sell at market and we will starve and she started to cry. Give me your basket, child, said the lady. I will give you something that will make up for the unspun thread. And she took Petushka's basket and disappeared into the wood. Soon she was back. Take this, she said. 
giving Batushka the covered basket. But remember, do not lift the lid until you are home. Do not lift the lid until you are home. And as she spoke, she disappeared. Batushka began walking home, but the basket was light, so light. What could possibly be inside? Batushka thought she should look before she showed it to her mother, so she took a teeny little peek. And you can imagine how she felt when she saw the basket was filled with leaves, old, dry leaves. Oh, she cried in a rage, I am such a fool! And she threw the basket angrily on the ground, spilling half the leaves on the path. She started running home, but then thought her mother would be even more upset if she came home without the basket. So she went back to get it. Whatever is the matter, asked her mother in surprise when Batushka stormed into the house, her hair a mess and tears running down her cheeks. And Batushka told her everything, all about the beautiful lady and the dancing and how she had not done her spinning. But to her surprise, her mother was not angry. Why, child, she said excitedly, that must be a wood maiden you danced with. They come out to dance every day at noon. Lucky you're not a little boy, because they sometimes dance little boys to death. But they have a fondness for girls and often give them rich gifts. Did she not give you anything? Just a basket full of old leaves, said Batushka, and I threw half of them away. But her mother said, perhaps there is something hidden underneath the leaves. And she opened the basket and let out a little scream. Ah! For lo and behold, the leaves had all turned to gold. Batushka ran back down the path to get the other leaves she'd thrown away. But there they were, just old dry leaves on the path. Still... There were enough gold leaves that Batushka's mother bought a small farm with two cows and some sheep, and they had plenty of food, and Batushka never had to spin again. Her mother made her a beautiful dress of white cloth, fine as a spiderweb, decorated with green ribbons. And sometimes she let Batushka wear the dress to go back to the clearing, where Batushka would put flowers in her hair and dance all afternoon. Batushka looked and looked for the wood maiden. Sometimes she thought she would trade her pretty dress and the cows too if she could just dance with the wood maiden one more time. But though she lived to be very old, she never did see the wood maiden again. There once was a boy who was invisible like the wind. When he was a tiny baby, his mother could only find him by groping in the direction of his cries. If she wrapped him in a blanket, the blanket disappeared, and if she put clothes on him, the clothes too became invisible. When he turned 12 years old, became a man, and was allowed to hold his first spear, the spear disappeared in his hands. And so, at a very early age, he became a very great hunter. Because he could creep up to the wiliest and fiercest animal and sink his spear in its flank before it even knew what struck it, man or thunderbolt. 
he also became a great warrior, because he could walk through the village of the enemy in broad daylight and never be discovered. A couple of years after he was born, his parents had another child, a little girl. And to their great surprise, they discovered that of all the people in the village, she was the only one who could actually see her brother. The two children grew up together, and when their parents died, the invisible boy built a beautiful wigwam beside a lake. And that's where they lived. In that village, there were many young girls who weren't married, and they all wanted to marry the invisible boy. Because the wife of a great hunter would never be hungry, and the wife of a great warrior would never be afraid of the enemy. The problem was the sister. She said nobody could marry her brother unless first she could see him. So, every afternoon, the girls of the village would wait outside the wigwam of the invisible boy, hoping that today, maybe today, when the men returned from the hunt, one of them would actually see him and become his bride. The sister would wait with them. As soon as the men came out of the forest, she would point and say, There's my brother. Can't you see him clear as day? He's walking beside the other men. I just don't understand that nobody can see him. A few of the girls, a very few, would admit that they saw nothing at all. But many of the young girls would say, Oh, yes, I see him. And he's the handsomest boy in all of the village. But what's he wearing? the sister would ask. Because he left so early this morning and the weather has changed. I'm afraid he was cold. What is he wearing? She was so tricky that the girls always fell into her trap. Some said he was wearing the same clothing as the other boys of the village, only richer and finer. Others said that he was wearing the furs of strange animals he'd hunted, or nothing at all, or even horns on his head. But whatever they said, the sister knew they were lying and could not really see him, and she would send them away. There was in that village a widower who had three daughters, the youngest of whom was sickly and weak. Her two older sisters treated her very badly. Bring us some water! What's taking Hurry you up? so long? Beating her and calling her names and making her do all the work and sometimes, sometimes even burning her face and hands on purpose because they were very cruel. When her father came home in the evening and inquired about the new wounds on his youngest daughter's face, the two sisters would say, Father! She acts as one who's lost her wits. Yes, father. She crashes into trees and falls into the fire, no matter how hard we try to protect her. She is a burden to us, father. Yes, father. She's a burden to us. A burden. And the young girl would cower in the corner and say nothing, because she was afraid of her sisters. She came to be called Uchigeasqua, which means she who is covered in scars. Both of her sisters had been to the wigwam of the invisible boy. When they came back, Uchigasqua said, Did you see him? Was he very handsome? Certainly we saw him. 
We saw him and he was so ugly that we refused to marry him. Yes, he was even uglier than you. Uglier than you. <laughs> uglier than you. <laughs> and then, because they had nothing better to do, they began to cut off all of Uchigasqua's hair and throw it into the fire by handfuls. And pretty soon they were having such a good time at their cruel game that they forgot all about the invisible boy. But not Uchigasqua. The next morning, when her sisters and her father were gone from the wigwam, she looked about for something to wear because all she owned were rags. When she couldn't find anything, she went out and took a piece of birch bark, and she made herself a dress out of it. Then she took her father's old moccasins that were too big and full of holes, and she walked through the village. Look at her! Look at her! When the people saw her, dressed like a crazy woman, they started laughing and pointing, and the children ran after her and threw rocks and taunted her. How much more they would have laughed if they had known where she was going. But you know where she was going. When she got to the wigwam of the invisible boy, the sister came out and said, Ah, Uchigasqua, you too wish to see my brother. But are you sure you would want him to see you? Dressed as one who has lost her wits, with no hair, your face covered in scars, do you really want him to see you? Uchigasqua looked down. I will go, if you tell me to, she said. But I would have liked to try, just once, to see him. The sister looked at her for a long time. Come, she said. She took her by the hand and she brought her into the wigwam. And there she heated some water over the fire. And with a soft cloth, very gently she washed Uchigasqua's face and hands. And under her touch, all of Uchigasqua's scars disappeared, as if by magic, leaving her skin smooth. Then she dressed her in a robe of thick white fur and was about to comb her hair when Uchigasqua said, Why do you mock me? You can see there is nothing for you to comb. My sisters have cut off all of my hair. Shh, said the sister, and she began to comb. And under her touch, Uchigasqua's hair grew out thick and black and beautiful all the way to her waist. Come, said the sister. It's time for the men to return from the hunt. And the two young girls left the wigwam. And right away the sister said, There's my brother. Can't you see him clear as day? He's walking by the shores of the lake. I don't understand that nobody can see him. Uchigasqua turned to look. I see him. I really see him, she said. But what's he wearing? Because he left so early this morning and the weather has changed. I'm afraid that he was cold. What is he wearing? Well, he's wearing... He's wearing a tunic that seems to be cut from the rainbow. The sister smiled and said nothing. And pretty soon the invisible boy had reached them. 
He took Uchigasqua's hand in his and smiled into her eyes. I'm so glad that finally someone has found me, he said. I was getting lonely. From that day on, Uchigasqua lived with the invisible boy and his sister in their wigwam, and they were very happy together. But what about the two sisters? Some people said they were so jealous when they found out what happened to Uchigasqua that they fought with each other until they killed each other. But others say that the sister of the invisible boy turned one of them into a mosquito and the other one into a black fly. And that that is why we have mosquitoes and black flies in our forests today. And you must not think it was out of a desire for revenge. Oh no, because in their new bodies, the two girls continued doing exactly what they liked best, which was tormenting other people. So you see, everybody in this story really did live happily ever after. is brought to you by Recreation CSL and is an excerpt from Broadway Happy Hour with Nick Burgess, presented by the Siegel Center for Performing Arts. Welcome back to Broadway Happy Hour. I'm so glad you're all here with me tonight. Ah, Evita says uh, for Ines Zilber, she would like some Evita. So why don't we do this gorgeous song that also requires some audience participation? This one. It won't be easy, you'll think it's strange When I try to explain how I feel That I still need your love after all that I've done You won't believe me All you will see is a girl you once knew Although she's dressed up to the nines At sixes and sevens with you Spend all my life down at heel Looking out of the window Sing out of the sun I chose freedom Running around Trying everything new Nothing impressed me at all I never expected it to Everyone Don't cry for me, Argentina Oh, yeah. 
There's nothing more I can think of to say to you. But all you have to do is look at me to know that every word is true. Everyone, don't cry for me. Jen Silver, Stephanie McKenna. This is my first time playing and singing this one, and it's notoriously hard to do both at the same time for this particular tune. So forgive me if I make like seven mistakes. This is Take Me or Leave Me. Every single day, I walk down the street. I hear people say, baby, so sweet. Ever since puberty, Everybody stares at me, boys, girls, I can't help but be, be, so be kind and don't lose your mind. Just remember, I'm your baby, take me for what I am, who I was meant to be. And if you give a damn, take my baby, leave me.
that is so hard to play and sing at the same time. So I can't wait for us to be all together again so I can play without making mistakes and you can sing and I'll be perfect. Anissa Cameron, Anissa, are you out there? Anissa, I mean, you know, this girl needs no uh, introduction. She's just the most incredible person in the city. Anissa Cameron, we love you and all the amazing things that you do for our city. You're just the best, what can I say? She wanted a song from Pippin, so this is my favorite one. Thundering, thundering louder than before 
76 trombones. It's like the first time. But what a great tune. It's a lot of instruments. Mythic. For those of you who don't know Mythic, it was a huge success at the Seagull Center in the fall. Um, so for me, one of the, the greatest experiences of my life to work on that show at the Seagull Center, um, uh, who I'm so thankful for, for all of the opportunities that they give to me over there, Lisa Rubin, thank you so much, and to everyone at the Siegel Center, and for allowing me to do the Broadway Happy Hour on these, these platforms, I'm so, so, so lucky. Um, and so, yeah, that was an absolute joy. We extended a couple of times, um, and I just know in my heart of hearts that Mythic is gonna have a life after this. I just know it. It's too good, it's too satisfying a show. So, um, Olivier asked for a song from, um, Mythic Olivier Drouin, and the request was for Dark Damaged Soul. So I'll just set it up a little bit, since maybe not everyone knows Mythic. So Persephone has arrived in hell and uh, with Hades, and so far she thought Hades was a nice guy. Um, but then, of course, he, he, he puts on the show that he's actually this bad boy. And so this is that song with all of the, the people in hell. So this is Dark Damaged Soul.
tunes from West Side Story. What a gorgeous show.
pretty, I feel pretty and witty and bright, and I pity any girl who's in me tonight. I feel charming, oh so charming, it's alarming how charming I feel, and so pretty that I hardly can believe I'm real. See the pretty girl in that mirror songs at the end. That concludes this segment of Broadway Happy Hour with Nick Burgess presented by the Siegel Center for Performing Arts and brought to you by the Parks and Recreation Department of Cote St. Luke. Well, that is today's episode of the Cote St. Luke Telephone Broadcasting Service. If you're listening at 2 p.m. on our phone line, we have another special item for you. Have a great day. Have a great day.